Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and co-workers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is Tuesdays with Andrea Podcast, where I seek out insight, inspiration from everyday people. And Mike Lachiotis, who is today's guest, is one of those. Actually, when I when I initially started this podcast, he was one of the first people I thought of. So this has just been a long time coming. He's been busy. And so I'm glad we're able to connect. Welcome, Mike, to the podcast. I'm honored and humbled to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm glad we can connect. And one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you is because we worked together at Best Buy many, many moons ago. And what I always remembered about you, Mike, was your attitude. You were so positive. You would come in every day for work. And uh, working retail is tough. It requires a lot of sacrifice, a lot of dedication. And you never, ever let that get to you. (laughs) Every day was like the first day. Every day was important. Every day mattered and your job mattered. And no matter what you did, whether it was stocking DVDs or Mm -hmm. selling TVs, it mattered to you. And that's why I wanted to talk to you and just get some insight, understand how you've been, what you've been doing, where you're at, and just connect. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, you knew me back when I was at Best Buy, and uh, I grew through the ranks there from just a simple part-time salesman to full-time to gaming supervisor to a department-level supervisor to assistant manager, and uh, it was great, and it was an amazing job where I got to not only sell lots of cool stuff, but I got to develop a lot of wonderful young men and women, and that's really what it came down to for me, and as you said, retail does require a lot of sacrifice. And I got married and I had a son. And during that whole process, I started to reevaluate, like, do I really want to work every evening until 10, 11 o'clock at night, drive home for 35, 40 minutes and not see my wife, who's a teacher, or not see my kids except to uh, scoot them on to the day? And another company came courting and I ended up working for a large retailer whose signature color is red. Uh, named Target. And <laughs> that was a great job. Uh, you know, we love Target. We women, we love Target. <laughs> oh, Target uh, is a great company to work for. We got some new management in my store and there were some disagreements uh, regarding performance. And unfortunately, I was let go. The very was that due to state, COVID? Right, right before COVID. Luckily, I had been in the process of knowing that and had secured employment at my current job, which is Trader Joe's, and really discovered a lot of mistakes that I had made in terms of my own personal well-being and development that I had put on the wayside. Was this at Target or at Trader Joe's? Uh, At at Target. At Target. Well, if you don't mind me asking, because your performance, I used to be one of your supervisors, you have had several, and your performance was never an issue. Without trying to sound apologetic or defensive on it, the thing is, is they had their reasons, but at the same time, a lot of the reasons didn't make a lot of sense in the long term. 
So, and I say that with three points. The yeah. first was I wasn't fired for anything egregious, so my unemployment was not disputed. Uh, thankfully, I didn't need it because I had secured another job. Uh, the second reason would be, of course, performance. I've led Chicago uh, in terms of whatever company I've worked for in, up to and including this last holiday season. And on the day, my last day, I actually, I maybe sort of had uh, looked at the numbers and I was number one in the store in terms of my performance at the same Which time. seems accurate, which seems about right. <laughs> um, well, thank you. Um, and that's something that thankfully I can back up. Uh, I don't like making a lot of false assertions in that. Ultimately, um, success in retail means that sometimes you do get a bit expensive. And I was very expensive for Target. Got it. And okay. I think sometimes that can become a liability. And um, very interesting thing my, my uh, former boss told me that day over and over again is, you are a leader and you will do tremendous things. But I'm letting you go. That sucks so, when that happens. It does. Um, like, like But it said, does happen. To your point, it does happen. And especially does. this year with COVID and budget cuts and stuff, even, even prior. Yeah. It does. Luckily, like I said, I had enough headway that I had secured other employment. And I really started to work on myself in ways that I hadn't done in, gosh, the previous 18 years. Uh, not since I was in my early, early 20s. And that's things like professional development like getting involved politically, like discovering new career paths and um, uh, having to really kind of reassess myself about a month before, unfortunately, a lot of people had to uh, with COVID um, and having to work from home or having to find a new job or having to do a lot of those things. And I'm very, very, very lucky, uh, like I said, to um, not have ever required unemployment and to have secured several offers and finally landing on one that would fit my needs as I further develop myself. Mm -hmm. um, I know how lucky and fortunate that makes me. Um, that's a huge uh, blessing. Um, I'd like to think it speaks to my resume and to the quality of work and the people that I've worked with. But ultimately, I feel that, um, again, in terms of 2020, um, I'm in a better place now. Uh, than I had been in the previous year. And that's with the company leading numbers and the reputation that I had built up both at Best Buy and at uh, Target. That's good to hear because times of transition are always difficult and it's always, they make you get to those points of, of deep questioning. What should I be doing? What do I want to be doing? What can I give and what can I um, offer? What did you end up prioritizing when you, you know, did the self-assessment uh, and you said you, you worked on things you didn't work on before. What was some of that? Uh, the first thing is, is when you work at a retail store as a retail manager, you are going to devote a lot of time into developing your people, which is absolutely essential. But a lot of times you will find yourself having to make sense and to make things work that necessarily wouldn't work without a great deal of either elbow grease or cajoling or convincing. And to, the, to that point, a lot of retail managers, particularly salary, will find themselves working upwards of 50, 60, and in some cases, 70 hours a week. Yeah, And that takes a physical toll and a mental toll that when you're in it, you don't see. And in terms of myself, education, and in terms of 
I never thought I would ever want to get a professional certification. I never thought I would learn how to program. I never thought I would get back into videography. I never thought that I would get back into uh, learning different programming or having to suddenly do things in JavaScript. And all of those things on top of just being able to be with your kids and being mm -hmm. able to prioritize that. Where at the same time, I didn't want to let anyone who worked under me down. Um, and I say under, under me uh, in terms of the people that I was directly their supervisor or their manager rather than the people who are over me because I work for both sets, but ultimately the story of my professional success has always been about uplifting other people, always. And that is a long, uh, that, that's been a long journey for me. And I didn't want to let that go. But at the same time, uh, I have a second son now. I have a wife who's a teacher in the midst of the first pandemic in a hundred years. Uh, there yeah, that's, it must have been, it must be tough right now for you guys. And it for is. Her. We're both essentially essential workers. I work at a retail store. She works at a school. Um, and while both our places mandate masks, the reality is, is that there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily following that until they enter those doors. And that just creates an entirely different level of risk that we have. Yeah. Um, but more to the point, I had neglected a lot of the things in my own life that would allow me to grow professionally and develop because I was always figuring out something else. Like how do we make such and such work, this project, this release, and that's fun. But at the same time, you really don't realize how much brain power you're investing in a job until it's frankly taken away from you. And then you have to start to actually use those creative muscles in different ways. And for me, it's been nothing but rewarding. I was just going to ask, so do you see the positive from that? Do you think overall, are you grateful that you were let go from Target, that it didn't work out there? 100%. And are you... So talk, talk to us about where you are now. What are you doing now? So I'm an assistant manager or mate, as you, as they call it, at Trader Joe's. It's a tremendous job. It's a great company with better health care and focus on community and uh, benefits than I've ever had. Um, it's a very people-centric company, and I'm honored to work for them. Um, at the same time, I'm developing a long-term plan to get into project management. Um, Throughout my career at Best Buy and later Target, I've been in charge of releases and projects and renovations and a lot of different uh, levels of infrastructure and partnerships with corporate and other stores. And that's where I really found a calling for in terms of uh, what I want to do long-term. Thankfully, I've been given uh, some opportunities to do things like product development uh, with a local political group who I was loosely affiliated with. Uh, and later became officially affiliated with uh, to create their new website for the first time in 10 years um, for this upcoming election. And how did it feel when you created the, the website? Did it, did it, was it nice to be able to flex those creative muscles again? It was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bluntly. Well, Mike, you're not as positive as I remember. <laughs> oh, oh, it, oh, life got to you. It's okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Here's the thing I'll tell you. 
I was on a Zoom call with several individuals who are higher up in the organization, the, the Democrats in the, my county. And I was with several people who are very experienced web developers. And we had to create a website because the old website was dated. And for a litany of reasons that we could take an entire Zoom call to make, this election is very important. And I could not fathom myself resting or sleeping unless my answer to taking that on was unequivocally yes. And I hadn't worked on really website development in over 15 years. But and this is because you're passionate about politics. Is that why? Or the Democratic Party? I'm passionate about people and ultimately the betterment of people. That's really been my focus. And that's what drives me. Like that energy and focus that you saw um, is really just the inspiration from other people. If I didn't have those people, I wouldn't be that inspired. And that's people that are in my life today and people that have left my life. Uh, that That's inspiring to me and their stories and their experiences and their shortcomings and their opportunities are ultimately something that exceedingly drives me. And the fact of the matter is, is coming into this year, the economy wasn't working for a whole lot of people. Healthcare is certainly not working for a lot of people. And a lot of the ways that um, minorities and really most Americans are will be treated in this country is not working. And that's not a political shtick or line in my opinion, that's just a basic principle. And there's a lot of things without going on too much of a tangent. Like I, like I said, I could not sleep if I had said no. And I knew I was going to have to develop a site, work 10 hours a day at work, and then go shut myself in this very office and work on a website. And it wasn't, there was never a thought of no. There's a thought of, oh God, what am I getting myself into? But it was never no. And if I, if I had to learn to learn a, a coding language, if that's what it took, that's what it took. It's not about me. It's about the people in my life who are around me, who inspire me. And I'm very fortunate um, that that's a wide range of people. And I just, like I said, there was, there was an opportunity to uh, get people involved and to get more volunteers in our local area, I couldn't say no. How has it been with the pandemic and managing through COVID and the lockdown? I know it was uh, intense in the spring. It kind of lifted in the summer. Now it's getting back. Your wife's a teacher. You work retail. What has that been like? It's stressful. Um, luckily, both of us work in uh, places that really mandate social distancing and masks. At the same time, there is always an inherent risk. We take those mitigation steps, but there's mitigation and it's not prevention. And that's a key distinction that we take the best steps that we can, but ultimately we are both public people that will be exposed to people who may or may not make those great decisions. And that's very stressful. And of course, as everyone is finding out, you end up in a house and I'm not sure there's a house big enough uh, for people to want to stay in it long enough uh, to not 
to not feel a little bit afraid at the end. Uh, thankfully, um, we all have our own little carved out spaces. And I think that does help. Uh, thankfully for me is I do get out and I, and, uh, I can go to work. And that's a reprieve that a lot of people just simply don't have. I mm -hmm. like to run. Uh, I do about a 5K three or four times a week around the neighboring subdivision. So I get out. Um, really, my wife having to work is probably my most greatest stressor. And the fact that my six-year-old is not in a traditional school setting um, for his own safety. And that's not a decision I regret. It's just, it stinks. Yeah. So what, that's first grade? He's in first grade. And how is he doing with virtual learning? He's doing better. Um, I don't think it's an ideal situation for most six, uh, first graders. I don't think it's an ideal situation for most people. There are some people who obviously will thrive under these conditions, but first graders typically need a lot of social interaction, which he's mainly getting from a two-year-old boy. That's his brother. Yeah. And those teachers, bless them, have to try to manage not just one classroom, but 20. And that's with dogs, kids, teachers, sitters, nannies, uh, TV on in the background, all the toys. Parents yelling. <laughs> Parents yelling. That's a lot more difficult on top of the fact that a lot of those teachers are teaching in person for yeah. the other part of their day. So, and how, who is the primary parent for at-home learning for him? Well, we are uh, fortunate enough in our lives that we, um, we do have a primary babysitter who watches them three days a week and watches both of them, the two-year-old and the six-year-old during their classes. On Tuesdays, I'm sorry, Thursdays and Wednesdays, which are my days off, I am their primary caregiver and kind of teacher during those class hours. Um, I just watch what he does, make sure he doesn't get out of line um, while running around with the two-year-old. Mm -hmm. So that's really, um, that's my responsibility uh, overall. Um, we just got word today that my wife's district will be going back to remote only for the next two weeks. So she will be in the house, but she will be in the office that I'm in now with the door shut. Yeah, because she has to teach. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that they still had in-person learning. A lot of schools didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people really crave normalcy. And they were willing to make some sacrifices to go for it. And I think that we all crave a sort of normalcy. And if you, when you look at the science and you look at the data, there are sacrifices that we have to make. And a lot of people were willing to make some, maybe not all, uh, to resume in-person learning. Whether that works or not, well, clearly they're going back to in-person, I'm sorry, to remote. So clearly there are concerns that that is not the solution for this fall and winter, but mm -hmm. um, I'd be lying to say I was anything more than a lay person in that. And that's a question I would, I, I, I follow the science and hope that they have our best interests at heart. So how did you have time to do all of these certifications and all of these personal uh, development classes? Talk to us about what you've done uh, to develop yourself in this off time. <laughs> so when you're not working 70 hours a week, when you go to a much more manageable 40 plus 45, um, 
you have a lot of time that you don't necessarily had before. And what I found was I was bored. And one of the things that had happened to me, especially being in home all, all the time. Oh, and home all the time. But I was, I was out of work right before the, the lockdown hit. So I could go to the mall. I could do things with my youngest son. My oldest son was still in school, but life was great at that time. It was pretty neat, but I was bored and I had all these creative thoughts running through my head and a local uh, friend that I knew who was involved in the Democrats asked me to build a website, said yes. Um, I had started to say, do I really want to do retail my entire life? I've met one store manager who in my entire career, who I knew who retired during the time that I knew him. And there was no cartilage left in his knees. He was walking around with a cane and for an active guy like me who runs around, like I'm still a 16 year old at my first job at McDonald's. I I didn't want to be in that shape, but I knew I was heading there with the kind of hours and wear and tear on my body that I was going to inflict. I look at a lot of athletes like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, how they played in their youth versus how they played when they're older. And you simply have to learn to put on muscle to rely on your team and to change your own physicality. And in some ways I just can't, you can't just run through an issue anymore. And you have to think more with your brains and your experiences more than just your body. And retail requires quite a bit of your body. And if I was going to do that, I was going to have to adjust. But going back to the question, what do I do now that I'm not thinking those canny thoughts of how do I get through this next thing? How do I fit my body to this holiday season? How do I get these people hours when they're cut? And I had all that flowing. And I started to really reassess what kind of career paths would be open to me. And a recurring theme throughout my life has been mercy. People in my life, and I'm very lucky for this, have shown me mercy or kindness at just the right time. And I'll give you an example of that. When I had lost a job due to a restructure in my 20s, my roommate had got a job up in Chicago. We were living down in central Illinois. And I didn't know where I was going to stay. My best, one of my other best friends let me stay in his uh, apartment for a couple of weeks while I sorted things out. Well, as I'm preparing to move out of my apartment, I had lost my main job. I had kept a part-time job at Best Buy. And I think this is right before I met you. And my general manager- Was this at 310? Right before 310. Our boss, Rich, calls me right And I had just submitted like an email to him and I had submitted an email to Rich and saying, Hey, I want to work for you. I'm going to Naperville. I just, uh, um, I, uh, I'm from Naperville. I'm probably going to have to move back home. As I closed the door to my friend's van to just move my stuff, I had moved out of my apartment and I was going to be living on my friend's couch. Rich calls me and says, how would you like to go full-time next week? I was on that couch for three days, three days. And I moved back in with my parents uh, as I was preparing to get married. I was engaged at the time. And 
Um, that store in particular gave me an opportunity to do even more leading, which soon led to my first supervisor position. And then I'm very fortunate enough to have been off to the races. In recent times, someone from our church reached out to me because my wife had submitted a prayer request. And he reached out to me and he's like, Mike, I'm a project manager. Um, I write books, I do lectures. And his name is Andy Kaufman, just like the infamous actor comic. And he reached out to me and said, how would you like to meet and get a coffee? I said, yeah. And what he didn't know. How did he know you? He didn't. He How did he reach out to you? I had submitted a prayer request. For oh, the prayer request. Okay. And he had said, I'm going to meet with this guy. He didn't know that I was looking into project management. He didn't. And he has been a, crud- a critical mentor in terms of my now uh, being accepted and now studying for the project management certification, the PMP, uh, which is one of the larger and more difficult certifications to get in the management field. I'm preparing to take that this uh, fall. Um, and he just reached out to me. And another gentleman who worked with my wife, who was the brother of someone my wife worked with, is like, I used to work in HR. These kind of layoffs and terminations happen all the time, Mike. Let's do lunch. I'm buying. Let's look at your resume. Let's get you figured out. And because of that talk and that follow-up, those small mercies add up. And I have every intention of paying it forward. But they really, I'm so fortunate to have that, Andrea, and not everyone has had those. Mm-hmm. So it was up to me to try to put myself into a position where I could be that person for someone else. And that's been a huge motivating factor, as much as money can be, as much as my family and friends can be, to be able to help other people takes on new perspective with every time in my life that someone has given me an opportunity or shown me mercy. And I'm very grateful And that's the key motivator for me is that I want to be that kindness for somebody else. And is that what made you, it gave you the drive to seek those additional certifications and to, you know, you mentioned the PMP, Mm -hmm. but you also posted on Facebook, a few other ones, um, very technical certifications as well. What were those? I was like, Whoa, Mike. (laughs) Um, One of them is called Agile Certification, which is a product and project management way of developing software, but it can also be applied to management, to rollouts, and to a lot of iterative processes where you want to keep something going. I also took the certifications at Andy's uh, Institute for Excellence and Development. That's what uh, Andy Kaufman had. And I took certifications under his website. Mm -hmm. Um, those were the primary ones that I took, um, on really just geared toward product development and project management, uh, which are two areas where I have a tremendous interest. I've been a, I've been interested in technology my entire adult life. Spoiler alert. You don't work 10 years at Best Buy or 11 years Mm -hmm. at Best Buy unless you really like technology. Um, so yeah, I took a lot of those. I learned how to. Uh, do video editing again. I learned how to do uh, audio editing. I took up uh, a little bit of light programming for that website, having to learn a little about Java. Just 
a lot of things that I hadn't really discovered that I could do. I also took up carpentry. I used to build sets in high school and I decided I was going to fill some of those 20, 30 hours that I had a week with building things around the house like planners and furniture. So yeah, I turns out that I can do a lot more with my time than just working. Yeah. And did you ever go to school, any, any college after high school or um, any, and how was that? Did you feel like that helped you? Oh yeah. I went to, I started at uh, a school, Northern, and I had to leave Northern after one year because my mother had developed a terminal cancer. And my father asked me to come home, work for him, go to community college. And when her fight ended, um, the next semester, I enrolled at Illinois State University, where I stayed for the next two and a half years, graduating with a degree in psychology. I met some of my best friends at that time and, and still at that school. And the ability to study, um, albeit with a bit less alcohol, um, a lot less, uh, has really been defining for me as I've gotten older. I've The study habits that I applied in school and the lessons that I learned in college to try to make it work, um, I had to remember them, but once yeah. I did, uh, they, they still prove helpful to this day. I'm sorry to hear about your mom passing. Uh, that must have been tough as a you know 20 something year old, young kid still new. Mm-hmm. W- what did you take away from that? My mom was sick when I was 11 years old and she had her first stroke around early December as I was getting ready for a Christmas concert and I was a cellist and my mother was very Catholic and very spiritual and very humble. And what I always found very defining as I grew up and she passed when I was 20 was that she fought against, she knew where she was going. In her mind, and without religious getting into religion or, or what have you, what my mom and Anne had thought she was going to go was to heaven. She thought she was going to heaven, and her entire existence for those last few years was, I don't want to go. And for someone who believes so deeply in that faith to say, I'm not going, I got two young daughters, I have a son. I'm not going without a fight to put up that fight against when your body doesn't hurt to put up that fight against the medical stress, the bills and the toll on your body to say, I just want to be with my kids. I don't want to say screw heaven, but she essentially said, I don't want what my faith, what my faith has promised me right now. Just right now, meaning she still wanted to live. Yeah, she still wanted to live. And there was no contingency plan for her. It was not like, oh, I'm going to rest now. And that really inspired me for how I wanted to be seen by my own children someday. And it inspired me with how I wanted to be for the people in my life. Um, Because that's an incredible amount of fight and will that... uh, it's hard to see. And whenever you see someone who wants to step up to the plate or leave something that's easy, 
that's a tremendous sacrifice. And that has been a, a constant source of inspiration. And, you know, you mentioned at the start, how do I stay so happy? Well, I'm, I'm healthy and I can fight. That's a beautiful day. Mm, I love that. You're healthy and you can fight. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what drives you? I know you said people drive you, but going forward, like what is it that you want to see? What do you see your role in, in the future being work-wise, personal-wise? What do you have your eyes set on? I have my eyes set on further leadership um, in terms of like being, like I said, a, a store manager at my current role, eventually getting into project management or product management, but really consistently with wherever my professional career goes to be able to be creative in terms of helping people or with multimedia. Um, and Which is huge right now. Yes. I'm like, there is a market. I mean, do you, yeah. you, do you know video skills? I do. <laughs> I have an editor, so Roger, okay. But I, I need other help too. <laughs> we'll talk. I'm, uh, I have a huge passion for that and it hasn't gone away. Um, and ultimately, I want to be a writer who helps inspire people the way that writers across history and time have inspired me and to be a leader and developer for people so I can pick them up at their lowest moments. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate enough to do that in the past and it is incredibly addictive Mm -hmm. and I intend to keep doing that and to realize that's irrespective of my title or role uh, is quite freeing. Um, Because when you work at a company or you're in the thick of it, of a holiday season, you think this is it, this is all it is, but it's an incredible blinder at the same time. And losing that was incredibly fortunate when I did because I could reassess, but no, it's going to be involving technology, teaching people, helping people, um, and leading. Uh, You mentioned uh, just being able to enjoy, enjoy time. Has it changed the way that you show up at home? Yeah. Has it changed the way that you're able to be present or at least not be so rushed in a hurry all the time? Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't so, know if COVID is the reason why I, I, I hesitate to ask that question, because I don't know if COVID's really the right time to have, you know, to say, oh, my gosh, I, I had peace of mind or I was present at home because we're always working. So it's, I, I understand it's, it's a, it's, there's a caveat with that. Sure. Um, I would like to say that it has allowed me to um, this time to be more present with my kids instead of exhausted because when I was at my previous employer, I was walking 15 to 20 miles a day. And that's just bad for your health. It's bad for your feet. It's bad for your knees. It's bad for your immune system. Yeah, but it's good for your metabolism. Oh, it's terrible. (laughs) Terrible. But at the same time, I I like every job that I've taken in the last five to six years has given me more family time. Um, more time to put the kids to bed, more time to play with them. If I had stayed in the retail role I was at five years ago, my second son simply wouldn't exist. And I think that I'm enjoying myself now. And it's weird to say that COVID has actually made me more engaged with my friends, but it has. It sounds weird, but I have to call and check up on them 
for their own well-being because they're going stir crazy too. It's very easy when you're in a retail role to say, wow, uh, check in your phone. And being like, oh, wow, they're out doing fun. Well, I'm earning money for my family. Good on you guys. Now it's, hey, let's talk. How are you doing? Let's get into this. My friends from college and I will go and synchronize and watch a movie on Netflix, Hulu, or one of the other streaming services and make smart aleck comments on it one night a week, uh, every week since the lockdown started. And I follow up with a lot of my friends and I make it a point to uh, talk to more people and to say yes uh, when someone does reach out to me. I, and uh, to, uh, to really just uh, look after them more. And I think COVID has actually helped them that because we're all much more in the same boat than we may have been previously aware of. So what's most satisfying about your career at Trady Joe's now? Sure. I get to work with a tremendous, and it's the same thing really that's great about my last few roles is that I get to work with a diverse set of people uh, who want to do well, both for their job and in their personal lives. And I am privileged to be able to share my experiences and to try to listen and care for theirs and to try to allow and guide and step out of the way in many instances to let their talents shine. Um, That's tremendous. And that's something that my previous jobs had and that this one definitely has. What are some leadership insights that you've learned throughout your, your many careers um, and past positions? What sticks out to you? Like, man, that was a really good learning opportunity. The biggest learning um, of my, uh, the, the three biggest thing, I took away three big things. The first thing I took away was people don't realize what they themselves are capable of. So you want to push them. And by that, I mean, is especially when you work in retail, particularly with jobs like uh, big box retailers, is that you end up with a lot of people who maybe have anxiety or depression. and They don't realize that they're capable of running a $30,000 shopping event or handling the midnight release uh, for something or getting beyond something that they're dealing with themselves. And I say, well, let's try it. And they say, you're crazy. They say, I don't want to do this, but I kind of want to do this, but I can't do this. And I said, you're going to do this. And I'll give you two kind of specific examples in that and move on to the next point. I had a young man who came to work for me at Best Buy who came in with a social worker for his first interview because he had a tremendous amount of anxiety in his personal life. He's now a a healthcare, a a senior worker in healthcare whose job is to basically fix issues for other people. And I had helped facilitate him to kind of run midnight releases for video games. Here's a guy who came in with social work, uh, with a social worker and a tremendous amount of anxiety who has to answer and help people in healthcare, which is tremendously stressful in this country. That's cool. And I had a similar experience with a young woman this time. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson I've learned is reading everything is a tremendous asset. And the people that end up reading every email and reading about what's going on in the industry and following up on the notes typically do a lot better uh, than those that don't. 
And the third thing and the most valuable thing I've learned is that people, this is a, this is the lesson. We have about five different types of messaging services, over 180 languages. We have texting, we got phone calls, we got Zoom, we got Skype, we have TED Talks, we got YouTube. People are imperfect at communicating. And a lot of the people you work with, whether they're your managers or yourself or below you, are imperfect communicators. And you have to be able to see the message beyond the actual uh, instance of delivery because not everyone can communicate things perfectly every single time consistently. And that includes multi-million dollar speakers whose personal lives fall apart. But it definitely applies to middle management and supervisors and workers and district managers that we are imperfect in our own words. And we have to be able to look beyond uh, what we're actually saying to show empathy uh, to and to be able to perform and to be able to work with people and different personalities across a variety of roles and spectrums. Mm, I love that because everybody's so different and you're right. There's different means of communication, different ways that we communicate. And sometimes we don't always say the right thing mm -hmm. or do the right thing, but it's mm -hmm. what's the intention behind it. And can we take a moment, moment to pause and assess did that land the way I wanted it to? Or, and if not, can we vocalize that didn't come out the right mm -hmm. way? Um, being in middle management, right? Mm -hmm. You're not at the bottom, you're not at the top. Right. What's that like? What's, explain some of that. If you could speak to top management executive, what is it that you want them to know if they're listening, right? This is the time, Mike, this is the time oh, you let man. it all out. <laughs> no, uh, what, what truly, um, I would preface that saying that my current company uh, responds to this much better than most and that I'm exceedingly fortunate. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my career was having to take scheduling for some people that they rely on their hours and tell them, hey, guess what? Um, best practice for this post-holiday season is you're going to work three-hour shifts. Three. And to be able to say that to college students, to kids just figuring themselves out in high school, to single moms, to single parents, really, really hit me. And I think that a lot of jobs, a lot of retailers require you to have a certain amount of availability. Um, but they don't necessarily have to schedule you. And yeah. so uh, people end up working three or four jobs and they end up in that situation or in terms of me where development isn't necessarily the best or isn't necessarily a, a tremendous use of your time currently. And that is not just true for me as a middle manager, but exceptionally true for the people that I work with. They have leaders and CEOs and nurses and future and future people in governance that are choosing to work for them. And how you tend to them will inform the rest of their adult decisions. And we'd like to say that they will grow beyond it or at least grow settled into a role that suits them. But there's a tremendous market for being able to grow beyond that and for people to wanna say, get rich quick. 
and or for people to say, well, this politician will solve this for me or this will solve. I, what I'd say to a lot of the upper management is, is you are tending for a society and the more careful you are with them and their hours and their livelihoods, that's not only just tremendous marketing and tremendous business, but you will see rewards far beyond um, the next uh, quarterly report. If you had gone back in time, what risk would you totally take? Well, it involved, <laughs> well, there's two different versions of that. Um, but Give me the best version. <laughs> the best version is I would have taken a lot of risks in terms of, I was a shy kid. I couldn't talk to a girl when I was growing up. I was shy. I was not outgoing. In fact, I was quite reserved and frequently bullied for it, although it, it didn't tremendously bother me. But I was fairly lonely and I was not good at public speaking. And I had a lot of opportunities earlier in my life to, um, to do those things. And man, that would have unlocked a lot of opportunities for me. Uh, both for my children and for myself, uh, had I just simply learned uh, that if, if I had simply taken more uh, career risks outside of my comfort zone. And that has been tremendously informing me of how I want to engage my own team. Um, that's but why what, I tend to push them. What, sorry. Uh, what risk was it? Is there any moment specifically that you would like look back on? Like, hmm. Yeah. So one of them was my, one of my uh, mentors was a man named Jeffrey Van Davis is, he's still alive, offered me to uh, act in a movie he was making about famous German philosopher, Martin Heidegger. And I declined because I'm like, I'm not good in front of a camera. I don't have good personality. I'm withdrawn. I don't like the way I look. Man, that would have done so much for me. And I said, no, I chickened out. I was scared. And that probably cost me 10 years before I realized, man, I really enjoy speaking to people. I really enjoy improvising. I really enjoy talking and being hilarious and funny and energetic and all these things. And that one decision probably would have informed my confidence and what are now characteristics of myself much earlier than I had realized. Got it. Anything else? Any other risks? Nah. Um, that's really the big one. I think the other risk is I would have probably gone more hard into videography and editing and creative writing. When you're young, you just think, oh, I just need to get through this next thing. But sometimes I'm just, I like to think that I'm still young and I you can are. make pivots and I can make pivots the reality is, is that the tremendous risks that you take when you're younger will inform who you are later. And just simply being more creative and being more out there against sometimes your deepest anxieties will change your outlook on things. And that's like, man, I really should have gone and done that movie or stuck more with a video project or just simply gotten involved more instead of sitting in my room. Mm -hmm. And man, 
Uh, I think everyone wishes they weren't sitting in the room as much these days. You're right. Yeah. Everybody and everybody and, and girls have that too. Like, man, when I was younger, I should talk to that boy or I was so shy. I didn't speak up in class or, you know, if you're, if you're not the person to raise your hand, then you're going to regret later. I should have raised my hand. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, uh, I think there's some, some good things in recognizing I would say if there's parts in your life that ache in that way, like creativity, I didn't get to flex my, then you found your niche and you really have found, this is where I'm speaking right now. This is where my heart is speaking at. It needs creativity. It needs something else. And I'm lucky enough to have realized, man, I have to spend my time being creative in that way. And in terms of my website, it's produced tremendous results. In terms of the people that I've been with and had the opportunity to promote, that's been tremendous. So while I have those regrets, I'd like to say that a lot of people around me are better because I have those regrets and have worked hard to make sure that either they don't have them or that I am careful with them because of those regrets. And it's not too late, Mike. You are still young. You can still move forward in those areas. You could take an acting class. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I don't know if there's another movie that's happening that, you know, that might be a little bit of a stretch for the German philosopher movie. (laughs) There's not many of those. So not many. There's not a huge market for German philosophy. Um, But no, like I said, I... I'm tremendous. I am very lucky. And um, those regrets um, just mean that I'm louder and a little bit more fearless today than I would have than I was. And um, a lot less withdrawn. Uh, People look at me in horror when I said I've done stand up in front of 300 people. And it's a thrill. And it's an honor. And have you ever done improv? I've done improv. I've done comedy that was written pre written. Um, I've done presentations to C-suite executives uh, at previous roles. It doesn't phase me. It doesn't phase me in the slightest to talk to a CEO or to a politician. It really doesn't. Um, I might get a little starstruck if I run into uh, most uh, presidents, um, past and hopefully future. We'll just leave it at that. Um, I might not feel awe uh, presently, but... Um, I, uh, I just don't have a fear of public speaking and I don't have a fear of rank and I love public speaking and I love talking to people and I love being creative and man, that's probably been the best part of 2020 for me, um, is that I've been more creative and using a lot of brain power that was, um, previously expended on just figuring out all these different issues on myself, on my creativity, on my passions, on technology, on my kids, and the people that I work with and that are still in my life as friends. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And man, I, I'm super excited because I'm, my wife asked me for a Christmas list and half the stuff is gear so that I can be creative, like a gimbal for my phone or- What's a gimbal? A gimbal, like so you can hold your. Oh, phone. okay, that's what you can it's go called. Go around with it, um, 
And those ring lights. I don't have a ring light. I got to get on. Oh, the, you got to get a ring light. I got to get the TikToks on. I mean, they got to <laughs> see my renegade on there, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> like, I have to do that. And I just, I dig that so tremendously much. There is absolutely no fear or anxiety. And that is incredibly freeing uh, personally because that stuff doesn't bother me. People laughed at me when I was a kid. Okay, cool. Um, I... I have tremendous friends in my life. I have tremendous kids in my life and I love making people laugh. And I've had the privilege of being able to have saved a few lives along the way. And yeah, there's no more fear in that. Who could say that? Save lives. <laughs> Actually save lives. People, well, healthcare workers can say that and police officers can say that, you know. People have come I up. say that. <laughs> people, and I'll respect their anonymity, have come up to me over the years and said, you know, you really saved me during that time. That was dark. Maybe I didn't know it. Um, someone told me at my wedding that I talked them down from a ledge. And uh, a ledge. And uh, you think about that. And I've had that experience more than a little bit. Well, you certainly come when people meet you, as mm -hmm. I did, and I can only speak for myself, you make an impression. And it's because you're so energizing and engaging. And I, I'm thankful that you're willing to share oh, yeah. your journey, your story with us, uh, because it does help. And it does um, add insight. And at least from my perspective, I feel like I, I got to know you so much better, Mike. You're not as positive as I thought, oh. <laughs> but, you're, but you're authentic, you're real, you're brave. Um, and you're still positive. <laughs> well, thank you. I, um, I like to think of myself as a positive person. Um, I also like to think that there's been a lot of, that there is a lot of negativity in the world that we have to address um, as much as the positive is. I agree because with you. It's, it, it's really... It's real. It's like real. there is no positive without negative there. It's not all rainbows yeah. and unicorns. Mm -hmm. This is life. Mm -hmm. And the reality is you can be happy and positive, but mm -hmm. there's also darkness and, and it doesn't have to be bad, yep. but it does. In my belief, it does have to teach us something. It does. And we have to be able to say that something is not okay. That yeah. the way that certain things in our police forces aren't always going according to plan. Um, in this country and the ways that we react to different races isn't always isn't is very very often not okay to how we handle healthcare is not okay to our environment i'm the i think that whatever has kind of changed in me is just being able to say to be able to be real about things that are very negative in this world um but letting the fight be positive and that ultimately is my mother's message is that the last Christmas she had, the last mission she had in life other than trying to survive was to buy all of her children Christmas presents. And that's that positivity, despite the fact that chemotherapy and radiation and uh, stem cell treatments, very early stem cell treatments, were wreaking havoc on her body. And that's, like I said, you have to be able to acknowledge that, which ultimately I think 
a lot of times we're not okay with. We'll gloss it over with comments like, all lives matter, or liking positive statements on Facebook, when sometimes it's the very real work of saying, this is bad, and it's not okay, and it's worth your time and energy to learn and be informed of it. Mm. So true. So true. And I, I'm glad that your mother's message lives on in you. Yeah. And I, I, I hope that you better make this happen, Mike. That your <laughs> kids have a phenomenal Christmas. Oh, they will. And that, and that this year uh, they have you actually for Christmas, right? You get to be home a little bit, a little bit more. A lot more. This will be the first year, Andrea, in 17 years where I will be home all day on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Turkey. I'm cooking brisket. Oh, um, that's something I wish for. And I'm very happy to have. I'm going to be thinking of you this Thanksgiving and uh, you guys have a great holiday. It was so great catching up with you, Mike. I appreciate you for coming on. And where can people find you? If anyone wants to learn more about Mike. Oh man. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, of course, Mike Lachiotis, which the name will be spelled correctly in uh, the posts. All right, Mike. Well, you have a good one. And I thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Andrea. Have a great night. You too. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart. So this message goes out to Rich. I was at a rough point in my life. My roommate was moving up north. My fiance was moving up north. I had lost my full-time job and I was only part-time at Best Buy. And as I'm closing the door to the van, uh, where I, my friend's van, as I'm getting ready to put my stuff in storage, I get a call from you saying, hey, would you like to come work full-time up north? And that was a tremendous year that I had at your store. I learned a lot about what I wanted to be as a leader. And a lot of that comes from you, your character and your optimism and your ability to believe and challenge other people. Thank you so much. It's been over 10 years from that and I will never forget it. Thank you.